32 and 33 as Mr. Suarez comes to give our readings today. This is God's holy word. Please give your attention to it as we read it together. Psalm 32, a psalm of David Maskeel. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. Selah. I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Selah. For this shall every one that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto him. Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Be ye not as the horse or as the mule which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusteth in the Lord, mercy shall come past him about. Be glad in the Lord, and rejoice ye righteous, and shout for joy all ye that are upright in heart. Now, Psalm 33. Rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous, for praise is comely for the upright. Praise the Lord with harp. Sing unto him with the psaltery and an instrument of ten strings. Sing unto him a new song. Play skillfully with a loud noise. For the word of the Lord is right, and all his works are done in truth. He loveth righteousness and judgment. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathereth the waters of the sea together as a heap. He layeth up the depth in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spake, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. The Lord bringeth the counsel of the heathen to naught. He maketh the devices of the people of none effect. The counsel of the Lord standeth forever, the thoughts of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. The Lord looketh from heaven. He beholdeth all the sons of men. From the place of his habitation he looketh upon all the inhabitants of the earth. He fashioneth their hearts alike. He considereth all their works. There is no king saved by the multitude of a host. A mighty man is not delivered by much strength. A horse is a vain thing for safety. Neither shall he deliver any by his great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him, upon them that hope in his mercy, to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waiteth for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. Let thy mercy O Lord, be upon us according as we hope in thee. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. 
Well, these two psalms, Psalm 32 and 33, uh, we have just read are understood to have been closely connected. Uh, You'll notice that Psalm 32 has a title, but 33 doesn't. And many believe that 33 is a continuation of 32, picking up where it leaves off. Uh, 32 is uh, the second of what are called uh, the penitential psalms. Penitential refers to penitence, right? That sorrow and uh, turning from sin and offense uh, that is characterized throughout the psalm. That said, let us begin with the title. It says, A Psalm of David, Maskeel. The word maskeel is derived from another word, a sakal, which means to be of wise understanding, which is then believed to refer to the psalm as one of instruction, to give wisdom, to give understanding. And in this case, as the Apostle Paul will will quote, uh, will use this psalm in Romans 4 for instruction on the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. The psalm opens up with a sudden exaltation of joy concerning the benefit of being forgiven of transgressions. Transgressions, that is, rebellions against God, they press like a burden. But to the one that is blessed, they are lifted up from him. Such is the idea of the word forgiveness here. No longer to press against him. Transgressions are forgiven and sins are covered. A second illustration. They are covered over as something vile or filthy. They are buried no longer to come up. Verse 2, their iniquity, their guilt is not imputed. Third illustration, as a debt or counted against them by the Lord Jehovah. This person who is blessed is one in whose spirit is no guile. Guile speaks of deceit or hypocrisy. There is no purposeful and outright feigning or pretending. Hence the Apostle Paul in his letter uh, to Timothy will speak of the End of the commandment, which is charity out of a pure heart and of good conscience, and of faith unfeigned, that is, without guile. This here that David describes is a true faith, a real and sincere faith that lays hold of the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ and can rejoice in the promise of forgiveness, of covering, of debt removal, and moreover, the imputation not of sins, but of the righteousness of Christ. A turn of thought occurs at verse 3 to consider the misery of David's condition when he was in sin by the expression, when I kept silence. He kept silence from acknowledging and confessing his sins to God. There was even a guile, right? A self-concealment, a covering of his sins, not the right covering. Uh, This guile pretending, the self-covering over his sins only served to the waxing old of his bones, through his roaring all the day long. It was as though he suddenly grew old and weak. His bones began to wear out and decay before him. His roaring or cries of anguish and adversity occurred all the day long. He was one under a deep and twisted trouble. Why? Verse 4 says, His Lord's hand was heavy upon him. As though it was pressing down upon him, the Lord was causing the guilt of his transgressions, the guilt of his iniquities to press down, so as though in his conscience, as though he can little but breathe. Note here how the Lord at times uses a sense of guilt. He works a sinner up into a sense of great difficulty concerning his sins. Certainly, the desire ends not to remain there, but to 
move him, right, to seek remedy in Christ. But nevertheless, the shame and the guilt is part of it, right? It's in order to that. He is akin to those plants in the 100-degree weather of summer, of drought, day after day without any water. They are dried up. Their moisture and vigor is all gone. And then we have the word selah. Understand by this term, right, there's a call to pause, reflect, apply what has been said to your own case. In verse 5, there's a positive shift. David conceals his sin no more. He acknowledges his transgression unto God, bringing it into open view and light between God and himself, affirming and concurring with God in what he has to say about sin, about David's sin. David is resolved to put it out from him. No more hiding is his resolve. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. And what was the Lord's gracious response? He forgave the iniquity and guilt of his sin. Here is a promise not only for David, but for us too. Right? We have it repeated to us in 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now again, Selah, pause, reflect, apply it to your own case and conscience. Have you need, my friends, to expose personal sins? Has pretending and concealment, self-covering, become a growing characteristic of your life? Is the Lord putting his heavy hand upon your conscience? pressing you into misery for your sins. Well then, confess your transgressions unto the Lord. Cast your sins out into the open before him, into his light, openly, freely, and readily. Don't hold back, but bring everything that comes to mind and from a careful search until you should find relief from him there. Relief, a freedom from pretending, a liberty to live in the light, no longer hiding and covering up. Forgiveness and a lifting of God's pressing hand against you and your sins and a cleansing from all your unrighteousness. For this, verse 6, that is, that thou hast dealt in such a manner with me, forgiving me my sins upon full, open, and ready confession. For this shall every one that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. God's dealings with David would stir up all that are godly, that is, all that desire to be so to bring their own cases before the Lord, encourage that they too may find forgiveness, covering, debt removal with the Lord, and moreover, blessedness and righteousness in Him. And that they too, while there is yet time and opportunity, not putting off, quenching the motions of God's Spirit upon the soul before it's too late, they do it readily. And surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto Him, that His troubles will not overwhelm His soul in wrath. Although God may allow very trying circumstances for them, the Lord will yet keep them. The Lord is his hiding place, he says. He will preserve him from the destroying end of trouble. He will surround him with songs of deliverance. That is, he will have so many reasons, occasions, and matter to praise the Lord for, so as to be surrounded by them. Now again, Selah, pause, reflect what has been said. Apply it to your own case and conscience. Congregation, do you find your mind surging with matter and reasons to praise the Lord? Or is it consumed with many other temporal concerns and cares? Is the Lord your active hiding place? 
the remainder of the psalm, then verse 8 through 11, David is given to formal instruction. He says, I will guide thee with mine eye. That is, that he will instruct by that which he has seen and taken in. Be not as the horse or as the mule. Listen to what I have counseled you. Be one of rational understanding. And that would be persuaded and humbled by the words of the Lord through me. Not like the brute beast, right? What do they need? They need a bit and bridle to be led about. And learn from this, that sin blinds us and makes us irrational. Irrational like the beast. But the Lord would lift us up and make of us rational, reasonable creatures. People of understanding. The Lord would lift us up in his light and knowledge. But to the wicked, verse 10, is an abundance of sorrows due to their impenitence. He that trusteth in the Lord, however, mercy shall compass him about, as he will have abundant reason, occasion, and matter to praise the Lord, so he will have mercies and consolations at all times and occasions to praise the Lord for. Be glad, therefore, it ends in the Lord, congregation, and rejoice, ye that are righteous. Shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. Now, Psalm 33. Verse 1 forms a natural connection, picking up where we left off in 32, exhorting the righteous to rejoice in the Lord. Praise is befitting, it's comely for the upright to do. They, above all other men, have greatest cause and reason to praise him. Not only so, but they possess the right principle by which to praise him, a real desire for his glory and magnification. Their disposition is towards the purpose of glorifying and enjoying him forever. David adds instruction to praise the Lord with musical instruments, with harp, with psaltery, with instrument of ten strings. Now, please note that these were not mere suggestions, right? So as to say, all right, everyone, next time we meet, bring whatever instrument you have in your house. Harmonica, bring your banjo, bring your guitar, bring your drums. It's not, it's not the case. When he says harp, he meant a harp. When he says psaltery, he meant psaltery, and so on. The next item to address concerning these instruments is to understand that they were provided uniquely for that administration of redemption and not to be perpetuated without a command, of which we believe has ceased along with the Levitical institution, who were the commanded players of those instruments and none others. These instruments were to be played by the assigned Levites in the tabernacle and temple worship, and this was to accompany the sacrifices Offerings and praises that occurred, as can be read, for example, if you want to read later, 2 Chronicles 29. Even as we see incense, right, accompanying the prayers of the Old Testament saints. What then is to be gathered for us in our age from these commands in the Psalms to employ musical instrumentation and to employ them skillfully? By answer, we should ask another question. What were they to signify in their own day and age beyond the physical striking, right, or the blowing of the instrument. Did God suddenly, in David's time, desire a concert? Was he just longing to hear some skillful composition or to make one of the best orchestras and bands of the earth to compete with the heathen? Well, certainly not, right, when we ask it that way. But among other places, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5.19 gives us aid when we are commanded to speak one to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, Right, and singing and making, here it is, melody in your hearts to the Lord. 
we are to gather then that when we sing these psalms and we come across these places of musical instrumentations, directions for them, we're to raise up the instruments of our hearts to the Lord by singing with understanding, with inward affection and sincerity of those matters which we sing unto the Lord, to sing with grace in the heart. Well then, verse 3, sing unto him a new song. Now some have erroneously concluded from this as though David was instructing the worshiper to, wait, hold on, stop. All right, let's start a new song. All right. It does not take long to see the problem with such an interpretation. You could never complete Psalm 33 without either stopping at verse 3 and needing to have ready a brand new song never sung before. But rather in context we understand David is calling upon the worshiper to renew their spirits with strength and gladness in a song of salvation given for them to hear and sing. And not only so, to the unbeliever who has never sung these before, it calls them to come unto the Lord and worship Him. Well then, from verse 4 to 19, we're provided motives in God to praise Him. Verse 4, the word of the Lord is right. His works are done in truth. Verse 5, He loves righteousness and judgment. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. And considering the earth... God's works are brought into view. Verse 6, the heavens were made by his spoken word. Verse 7, he gathers the oceans and lays up the deep in storehouses. Verse 8, let all upon the earth fear him, for he spake and speaks, and it was and is done. All obey his powerful voice. Then in verse 10 through 11, he brings the plans of those who oppose him to nothing and make them of none effect. The Lord's purposes and thoughts remain unmoved and are accomplished forever. And then towards the end, verse 12 through 19, David will speak of those benefits for them who come under the Lord as their own God. The nation whose God is the Lord is blessed, those people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. He beholds the sons of men, all of them, in verse 13, and looks upon them, in verse 14, considers all their works. None escape his notice. Those who think that by some earthly means they should prevail and have success, are deluded. But, verse 18, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him. Oh, he beholds, he looks, right? He considers all, but his eye of favor is not upon all. And the special hand of providence is especially for them that, verse 19, hope in his mercy to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. The Lord prepares for them as it were, and sustains them. He does not allow them to die off completely, although he may try them and bring them into conditions by which they learn to depend upon his mercy and deliverance alone. We then reach the conclusion with the intent of David and the worshipers to wait for the Lord, to look to him for help and salvation in all of their difficulty, that if they should even apply themselves to various lawful means, they should not trust in them, but look to him for blessing and the result, lest our hearts in verse 21 are found rejoicing in the things and not in the Lord who grants, concurs, sustains, and confirms any positive effect which we should receive by our use of created things. Congregation then, let us trust in his holy name and seek thereby, as it says in verse 22, that his mercy should be upon us. Thus ends our time together, Psalm 32 to 33.